with the IBN Weekly Podcast. Um, if you just tuned in and you heard Gravel Pip, I had that um, on the show last week. Uh, so it won't be any music today. It'll just be um, it'll be me talking, and then hopefully we get some call-ins. I post in the group um, about – oh, I just got a text. Sorry. I post in the group about the uh, number to call in. And um, just, it's been a lot going on this week in sports, so I know a lot of people want to talk about stuff. Uh, Saturday afternoon seems like a decent time to kind of get people's attention, get people calling. If not, you know, I'm here. And I've got plenty of things to talk about myself. show usually runs about an hour. Uh, I had done a show, I think, last week or a week, maybe the week before. Uh, it was just a pilot show, and I did not post that. But one day I might post it so we can all look back and laugh. But in the meantime, let's get into this week in sports. Um, we will touch on the NFL because the NFL actually had something significant happen that uh, has people talking. But first, I think we have to talk about the NBA playoffs right now. Um, both series went from looking like they might not be competitive to just being probably the two best series in, in basketball we've had this entire playoffs. So um, I think the most interesting story right now would be probably the Golden State Warriors and Rockets series. Um, I don't know what to make of the, the Warriors. I, I feel like a part of me is kind of, kind of you know, going to maybe, maybe cutting the uh, Rockets a little bit short. They are a good team. Um, Harden's definitely been playing at an MVP level. Uh, probably over the last two years, honestly. Um, he didn't do too well in the playoffs last year. And uh, he's had some playoff hiccups um, in his tenure with the Rockets and then even a little with the uh, Thunder. But as far as this year goes, I mean, I think he is he is that, that guy, you know. Um, he's shown it. Even when he has bad games, his team still finds a way to win. A lot of that is due to Chris Paul and his leadership and experience as well. And now we don't have Chris Paul for this game six, and and it kind of makes you wonder, how is this going to play out um, for the Rockets in the sense of are they going to just kind of concede, you know, we're not going to win this game because we're playing at Oracle, or are we going to see effort uh, from the Rockets, maybe some fight, maybe a surprise, maybe they pull it off and win. Um, I think tonight will be a reflection of the kind of leadership that Harden has and the team that he has around him. I believe this team is a little more gritty than the teams of the past that he's played with. And uh, guys like Tucker and Ariza, um, your your grinders, I, I don't think they're going to allow the Rockets to kind of just take it lying down, basically. And, and, and some people are pretty low on them now. Without, without uh, Chris Paul, some people are kind of high on them without Chris Paul, but I think it'll be interesting to see where they get that extra scoring from, because if you guys watch game, what was it, game, game five, sorry, game five uh, a couple nights ago, I mean, Harden, Harden's 
shooting struggles are, are well known right now, especially from three. I think he's like 0 for 19 for the for the series. Um, he's not necessarily a prolific three-point shooter anyway. He's a great scorer, but three-point shooting isn't his strongest suit. But either way, 0 for 19 is pretty bad. He's had some open looks too. And if you go back to, I think, game four, where there was a situation where he had the ball behind the three-point line wide open, Draymond was probably – at the free throw line. He wasn't even trying to contest. It was more of the, one of those situations where you look up as a defender and you see who has the ball and you're like, oh, shit, he's going he's gonna to shoot it, whatever. And he gave a half-hearted effort um, on the closeout. And he wasn't even fully committed to the closeout. And Harden still passed that shot up to give the ball to somebody else. And, I mean, a lot of us questioned why. I questioned why at the time, too. But, I mean, the guy ended up dropping, like, 45, and he dunked on Draymond that game. So, he ended up having the game of his life. But you got to wonder if he's also well aware of his shooting woes from the three-point line and if that's going to play into how he attacks uh, the Golden State Warriors. Will he feel pressed, you know, to, to maybe chuck up a couple more shots when they get down? Because Chris Paul's been – he's been clutch, man. He's been clutch. Like, I don't even know – I don't even know what else to say about him. Like, I got to say I'm surprised, man. Like, I was one of those people that joked on Chris Paul and his uh, second-round woes, and he, he's been he's been doing his thing. And, it, and it's been kind of quiet. Like, he's um, he's been the backbone of that team, I think, in times where they would have probably turned it in or in times where they can't find a way to score and stuff. Um, he's He's – kind of led the charge. So uh, from a leadership standpoint, they're really going to miss him. And then his scoring ability, obviously, they're going to miss that too. And um, his ability to to um, to score in multiple ways, like not just by shooting threes or by, you know, coming off screens and stuff like that. He's created some, some real good buckets. He's created some real good mismatches. Uh, game five was game five, game four and five, actually, um, he definitely took advantage of, of uh, defensive switches. It was more apparent in game five. Um, at one point in the game, I think he was just abusing abusing the bigs uh, for for the Warriors. And it's strange to see them like that. But we'll touch on the Warriors in a little bit. We're still on the Rockets here. Um, but um, I was hoping to get our resident Rocket fan from the group um, – to call in, so I'm still trying to reach him. Sorry. I got to do... Sorry, if y'all don't know, I have to do multiple things. I got to type on the computer and also talk on the uh, on the mic um, when I'm trying to reach people because I try not to be on my phone when I do it because you get so many alerts and it's a distraction, but trying to Facebook message somebody, I guess that would be considered old school communication at this point. But um, like I was saying about the Rockets, uh, they they've just they've they've excelled uh, in situations where normally we would see them fall. And like I said, I give a lot of that credit to Chris Paul and his ability to at times take over the game and and stabilize them uh, from an offensive standpoint. And I just like I said, I just wonder where they're going to get that offensive output from. Now we've seen um, we've seen Eric Gordon uh, step his game up over the last couple games. And it's not like he can't score. And I just, I mean, I, I don't want to say that he can he can pick up the slack. He can pick up, I guess, Chris Paul's getting about 20 a game, 23 to 25 maybe. I haven't looked it up, but he's getting a significant amount of points. I can anticipate Eric Gordon getting six or seven more shots without Chris Paul on the court, uh, probably – eight to ten more minutes of of game time, maybe a little bit more depending on how it goes. But I would anticipate at least ten more points from him. I would hope for at least ten more points for him. Um and that's that's given the bare minimum of his shooting ability. So with that being said, you're still looking at about ten to fifteen points that you're gonna be missing from somewhere. So it makes you wonder, does Joe Johnson get the call? Do we see Joe Johnson come in? I mean, it would be kind of strange to put somebody in that hasn't dressed out or played um, played all series. But, I mean, Joe Johnson's a proven uh, vet. Uh, he's, he's played in some big games. He can score at least 12 to 14 a night at this point. 
uh, you maybe add him into the rotation. Uh, there's a, a lot of emphasis put on isolation basketball in this series. And I, I don't know uh, if, if we're living in the moment or not, but to me, in today's NBA, that's pretty much what the majority of the game is, is isolation basketball. Guys will uh, create mismatches through variations with uh, with their offense to, to get guys to switch on defense. And when you get the desirable matchup on uh, defense, you spread everybody out on the floor, clear out, and let your your advantage go one-on-one with their disadvantage. Now, um, the way basketball was probably designed to play, the way we would like to see it play, uh, or purists would like to see it play, is guys making passes and making cuts and stuff like that, a lot of movement, a lot of confusion on the offensive side. On the defensive side, it's, it's a lot of uh, communication and, and talking. And in today's game, I'm not sure we're getting a lot of that anymore. And I, and I think we kind of knew, but it's it's on this on this big stage, and, and the Warriors have kind of been the face of passing basketball. Um, it's hard to, I guess, imagine that they have now turned into um, a pretty crappy isolation basketball team. And I, I rolled this around in my mind, and, and this is strictly the eye test. And I know how in IBS we hate the eye test, but this is strictly the eye test. It just does not look good. It doesn't look good for the uh, for the Warriors on the offensive side of the ball. And a lot of that I put on uh, Kevin Durant. I mean, I was critical of Durant when he was in OKC, but I was more critical of Russell Westbrook thinking that he was the one that was stopping the ball. He was the one that was not giving the ball up when he was supposed to being the point guard and facilitating the offense. But um, I watch I watch the Warriors. I've watched a lot of these games this series. Um, luckily, my job schedule has allowed me to, to catch at least four of the uh, six games that they've played so far, and or four of the five of the Warriors and four of the six that the uh, that the uh, Celtics have played. But either way, I'm just blown away by how just bland the Warriors' offense looks. Now, I don't know if a lot of people are familiar with the Warriors' offense. I'll give you my perception of what I think the Warriors' offense basically does is is that they they utilize iso motion a lot of times. Um, and and what I would like to think that they're trying to do is create isolation matchups with somebody like Kevin Durant. And when you get the ideal matchup, he can attack the basket. But if the desired matchup isn't there, you reset the offense and you run the motions, you run the backdoor cuts and stuff, and you find a good shot. And and in that offense, you can always find a good shot. And I look around and I see Curry, Thompson, Draymond, um, Livingston, Quinn, I think is the uh, – oh, Cook, sorry, Cook. Um, everybody, basically. Everybody seems to be moving without the ball, looking to get open looking to set a pick and create some kind of opening for the next man and, and switching off and, and every, everybody's moving and that's the Warriors offense in my mind. But then there's Kevin Durant and when the ball gets to him, it it stops. When the ball gets to him, people kind of stop moving. They just kind of spread out or, or when he's got the ball bringing up the court and guys are moving around, he's waving everybody off. Like people trying to set picks for him and stuff like that. He's waving them off. And I've, I've been, live it since I've seen it in the game. But I, I'm telling you, I, it's been a while since I've seen somebody dribble out the entirety of a shot clock and and just chuck up a shot. Like I, I don't know how that's allowed in the NBA. Even some of our most notorious isolation players, like James Harden is a is an isolation player. Like he, He's probably statistically one of the best isos in, in the NBA, but I've never seen him dribble out the entire shot clock and then just chuck up a terrible shot unless it's, like, really late in the game and and there's, like, some different situation. But we're talking, like, the this is, like, the first or second quarter of the game, and, and, and Durant's got a one-on-one, and he dribbles right, he dribbles left, he dribbles right, he dribbles left, and then he chucks up a, a shot when, it's, when he's double-teamed. And I'm like, what in the world, man? What in the world? So um, I'm not – I'm not understanding what's going on with that. Uh, I I seen a video of Kerr trying to talk to my man, trying to get him situated and and 
and give him some motivation through telling him the story about how Michael Jordan trusted his teammates and this and that. And it, I don't know if it, if it did anything to Durant in regards to affecting how he was playing, I couldn't tell. So, um, this this whole series is on him, man. It's on him, and and it's probably also on Curry because this is Curry's team, man. He's the leader, um, whether he likes it or not. And and I'm, I don't think he doesn't like it. I don't think he's ever shied away from the fact that he is the leader um, of that team. Draymond's the vocal leader. He's the voice. But at the end of the day, how's Draymond gonna ever tell Kevin Durant he can't shoot or telling Kevin Durant he needs to pass more? Like Durant's not gonna listen to him. Like, he's going to look at him like, man, shut up. You can't score, which isn't necessarily true, but I, I can see him kind of bristling at Draymond. And I also can see Draymond not necessarily delivering it like you would like. You would like. But um, Clay's not going to say much. He, he's never been one to, to talk much. It doesn't seem like even on the court and stuff. But I really think Curry needs to take Durant to the side and, and, and tell him, like, bro, you have to trust this team. You have to trust these guys. Like you cannot, you just cannot be shooting over top of three people with 15 seconds left on the shot clock. That's just not gonna work, man. And and I know it goes in, and that that shot for him probably goes in 40 percent of the time, which is pretty high for for anybody in the NBA when you're basically doubled or triple team. But it's just not what they need, man. They have to get a rhythm. Curry can't get a rhythm. Clay can't really get a rhythm. Draymond can't really get a rhythm. And then when you need these guys to really get you buckets, they've been kind of shut out of the offense for a certain amount of time and, and haven't gotten touches. And it's just, I think it's really throwing their rhythm off. Um, I, I seen a rotation that Kerr did last game that just blew my mind. And and I'm sure he's done it a couple times during the season, but it just seemed to me like it was, it was intentional. He took... Draymond, Clay, and Curry off the court and just left Durant on the court with the bench, like the entirety of the bench. Now, I've only, like I said, I've only watched four of the games, and then I've seen a couple games during this season, um, enough that I could kind of say that that, to me, was strange. I've never seen Draymond, Curry, and Clay off the court at the same time so early unless they were in foul trouble. In this case, they were not in foul trouble. I usually have seen where it's Draymond and Durant on the court at the same time, or it'll be Draymond Curry at the same time, and then they bring uh, Clay and Durant in later in that quarter, et cetera, et cetera. But it's just like that rotational change in that particular situation just kind of stood out to me. And I, and I wonder if Curry is also trying to address it in his own passive way because you got like this guy's a superstar man he he is and we can't deny that he's not at at worst the second best player in the NBA um sometimes he's the best player in the NBA depending on what night you catch him on uh but how do you how do you get some how you get somebody to to change their DNA man cuz shooting is in his DNA scoring is in his DNA and looking Throughout his professional career, uh, he's always been needed to score 45 points uh, on any given night to win. And you would think that after winning a championship with this team that he kind of, you know, he kind of went away. But there's pressure. There's pressure in this playoffs. There's pressure in this series. Like, the, the Rockets are, are applying the the significant pressure. And I think Durant's his um, – his base is when he gets pressured to shoot out of it, to play out of it, to, to, you know, give it his all. But he's got guys around him now that he doesn't need to do that. He doesn't need to carry the brunt of this offense. So um, we'll see how he plays tonight. Hopefully uh, somebody gets to him. They talk, talk about it. I'm pretty sure it's, it's, it's hard to keep an elephant in a room when you got a guy like Draymond. So I'm sure people are talking and they're going to address it. So, um, with that being said, uh, tonight the Warriors are a 12-and-a-half-point favorite. It's probably going up. It's probably going to get hammered um, publicly. Everybody's probably on it. So um, I think the Warriors win tonight. I don't see how they lose without uh, or with Chris Paul on the bench, man. I, I just I just think he's, his leadership and, and, and no, no quit 
and um, you know, like it's just attitude. This whole series is is going to be sorely missed. Uh, also, we already know how the Warriors get down when they're at home. Even if they are playing ISO ball, their shots fall. Uh, the bench shots fall. I know a lot of people are making a big deal about Iggy being uh, hurt, and you know what? Um, I mean, it's significant, but I trying to remember. I think I remember when uh, it was either Delhi or somebody. Somebody got hurt. It might have even been Marcus Smart, but it was somebody. Somebody that was kind of like a significant role player had gotten hurt for a team over the last couple of years. I believe my stance was that shouldn't really matter because he's a role player. And I and I and I kinda wanna take that stance right now with Iggy, but I know Iggy is, is he's very important to that defense. Um last game 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 uh five, uh they when they were creating these mismatches, um a lot of these mismatches that they're allowed to create, the or the Rockets are allowed to create. Uh, versus the Warriors on defenses because Iggy can't come out and that their small lineup is broken. Now, the small lineup being broken shouldn't really matter, but Curry's not a good defender. We already know that. He's 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 a liability. When you got a versatile, energetic guy like Iggy playing with another versatile, energetic defender like Draymond, you can you can really mask uh a player like Curry who can't really play defense. Um now Durant was playing really good help defense and in, in, in general defense this year. And with Iggy on the court, I think he was allowed to free roam a little bit more. But now you have that disconnect on the defense. There's no communication between Durant and Draymond. And I think Durant's a little confused on his assignments on defense from time to time, especially helping uh, when guys drive and you're, you're getting, you're getting Curry out in the open where he's exposed a lot, or you're getting uh who's it? Looney out in the open when he's exposed a lot or David West. Like these guys are not they're not the type of big men that are gonna cover somebody that's smaller. So either way, it's it's just it's throwing off their defense. It's probably throwing off their offense a little bit more because he is a, a fairly good passer now and um I mean he never really had a problem with passing before. But either way, he plays within the offense so uh that's definitely a plus for them. But I'm just I'm just not here to hear um that the Warriors are going to lose this series because Andre Iguodala got hurt. I'm just not going to go for that. I don't want to hear that. Um, that the lamest excuse of all time when you've got Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, and Steph Curry on the team. You still got three people out of your starting five were on the team that won 72 games, and they were the three most significant people of the 72 wins. So I'm not hearing that. I'm not hearing that when you got – those three, and you still got Kevin Durant, I'm just not going to allow that to be an excuse, man. I'm not. So people saying that or anybody listening, you know somebody saying that, like, tell them to shut that up. You know, ain't nobody trying to hear that, especially when I look over in the East, and we'll get to that in a, in a minute. And you see was he who will not be named right now is working with. Um, I'm not hearing, oh, my God, Iggy got hurt. If Iggy hadn't got hurt, no. Now, on the flip side, the Rockets could say, Rocket fans, if if you lose this series and and Chris Paul is really done for Game Six, or he comes back in Game, well he is done for Game Six, but if Chris Paul comes back in Game Seven and he gets hurt again, or if he doesn't make it back for Game Seven, um, you guys probably do have a valid claim. If what if, and that's one of those funny stipulations with uh, Steph Curry's uh, whole career so far, or his um, sorry Steph Curry's winning portion of his career is what if what if Kyrie and Love hadn't got hurt that first time what if I don't even know what the excuse was the second time but it's just a bunch of what ifs so um we'll see how that plays out again game six is tonight I expect the Warriors to win um but I'm also going to be paying close attention to how that offense is working tonight uh switching over to the Eastern Conference I, I think I did a good job of not of talking for about 25 minutes without mentioning LeBron. But anyway, um, switching over to the Eastern Conference, I I've apologized multiple times to Boston Celtics fans that I know that I trashed um, Danny Ainge and and that that Jason Tatum pick. I I probably have never been more wrong in my life. But I mean, professionals get it wrong, and I'm just a fan, so. 
I guess I I can handle that. Jason Tatum has been incredible this year. He's been incredible the entire playoffs, and and I'm very happy that um he's being he's blossoming right before our eyes, and uh, and um I'm gonna make sure I appreciate you know as much of his career as I can, and especially if he continues to excel because he's he's definitely um a, a good dynamic player with a, a bright future. So. With that being said, I hate that he's helping the Celtics. I hate the Boston fan base still because they get on my nerves. They know everything. And then when they, majority of the time when their team loses, it's, it's always some explanation. And then they can't find them when they're losing or after a loss, for real, for real. But when they win, they're all out here. So <laughs> that's my beef with Boston. Um, do I think Boston's going to win this game seven? Because that's what it all boils down to. And we kind of seen that happening because the Celtics are not that great of a road team. And the Cavs are hot and cold, hot and cold, hot and cold. Um, they play, you know how some people play, say they play 50-50 ball. Cavs play 60-40 ball. <laughs> so um, I think LeBron has enough in his tank to get it done. Um, adrenaline can definitely carry. Uh, people to do things that you wouldn't expect them to do. And that that goes without saying for somebody as supremely talented and gifted as LeBron James is, and you put him in a do-or-die situation in a game seven in a, in a, in a facility that he's known to, to show off on. I mean, I don't know, man. (laughs) It's, it's a, it's a hard call. Um, I gotta, I gotta give, I gotta side with LeBron. I just can't, I just cannot, just cannot bet against LeBron James in this Eastern Conference, man. But I will say this: what I saw from the Boston Celtics last game is a very promising thing to the Boston Celtics uh, fan base because they're not a good road team, but they they fought. Uh, last night, and they came out with a lot of energy. They came out with some urgency, with like playing like a team that didn't want to go to a game seven back in Boston. Which you could probably look at that and be like, "Oh, well, that's not necessarily something I'd be happy about if they were trying to end it early." But it's just, I guess, to me, it just shows that they understand the the severity of the situation, and they're they're professional enough to to not take it lightly. And I know we, we see a lot of teams, especially teams that are in a situation where nobody expected them to be in. They're, they're, it's easy to, to think that, oh, well, we're not even supposed to really go six games with these guys, and we're already up three games to two. It's it's easy for them to kind of just chill in, in Cleveland and then come back thinking, oh, we'll just turn off a game seven. And um, I was I was very happy that they, they came out and played the, they, the way that they did. Uh, one other positive that the Celtics fans can take is that Terry Rozier um, seems like he's hitting his shots. Uh, finally, he's getting a little bit more consistent, and uh, he has some some good play. Um, also, oh, Jalen Brown. Jalen Brown played pretty good, too. But Tatum kind of had an off game um, from the little bit that I saw. He might have... Uh, he might have picked it up in the second half. I didn't watch much of the second half. I had some training to do at work. But either way, at the end of the day, can't be too mad at the result. Something to build off of hitting into game seven. So how do the Celtics approach game seven? I think they just play the way that they've been playing. There's nothing wrong with how they've been playing in Boston. And I really think that they got to keep Marcus Smart out of foul trouble and just put him on LeBron James to annoy the crap out of him. LeBron's going to – he's – more than likely going to go off. It's a 97% chance that he just goes off for about 45, 50, uh, 16 boards and 11 assists type game. Like he's he's going to have a monster game. Um, that's just how it is when he's when he's out there at the guard. So it's just it's going to happen. So how do you get by that? And I think that the Celtics just have to make sure that they continue to play team ball because man for man, outside of LeBron. They're probably a better team than the Cleveland Cavaliers. I, I don't have a problem with saying that. Cleveland Cavaliers. I mean, you look at look at his help. Uh, George Hill. He's a he's starter caliber. Um, he's got some pedigree, but for the most part, he's been a bench player. 
um, until he went to, I want to say, Indiana. And he started in Indiana. But then they replaced him with Collison, and he's not even that good. Or, shoot, I think he was coming off the bench in um, in uh, Sacramento. So, not, I mean, he's not that great. Uh, let's see. J.R. Smith is the worst basketball player in, in professional basketball currently playing. He's He's awful. I don't know how he gets minutes. So we, that just goes without saying. Uh, Tristan Thompson is the max version of a broke Clint Capella. I don't understand how he's getting paid so much, but that was done prior to this season, obviously. So um, take 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 it for what it is. He's not that great either. And then, I mean, Kevin Love, if he can stay healthy, Kevin Love is, is definitely the best number two option that you could possibly have out of these two teams. But – uh, the guy can't stay stay healthy. So at the end of the day, I mean, you're looking at Jordan Clarkson, um, Kyle Korver, Jeff Green being the the sparks that can help LeBron James, and that's just, I mean, that's some that's some trash help right there. <laughs> and today, as far as today's game goes, that's some that's some trash help. But um, it is what it is, and and this is the this is the bid that the Cavs and LeBron made, man. They went out and traded for these guys, so I'm not really trying to hear them complain too much about it. When it's like you valued them enough to trade assets uh, for them, whether we thought they were um, top tier assets or not, you you made trades for them. You wanted these players enough that you went out and got them, so you can't complain about it. Now, this you already knew this going in that this was their potential, so you got to make it work. Uh, with that being said, um, I'll touch base on the, the help situation as far as the Jordan versus LeBron argument goes. But I mean, anybody trying to say that 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 he doesn't or he has help on this team is just wrong, and like he's got some help in Kevin Love, but the rest of these guys are are not good. They're not really NBA starters, bro. They're not. And these people are starting alongside him. So that makes it tough for any player. Um, Any player that's got bench caliber players starting next to them is going to have trouble. That's why they belong on the bench. That's why you can't let them run as long as everybody else. That's why you only give them 20 to 25 minutes a game. Because if you mess around and you're giving them 40 minutes a game, you're going to end up losing by 15 because they just can't sustain a high level of play. That's why they're on the bench. So um, with that being said, they've, they've got to, they've really got to ride LeBron's coattail, man. Give him the ball until he gets tired. Uh, play extremely tough defense, contest everything, hustle and then, like I said, just give the man the ball. When you when you ain't hitting your shot, if you if you get on a run, like Jeff Green is notorious for going on some like twenty point tears every now and then. I think Clarkson's had a few of uh, in his game. I think I seen one game where Larry Nance got some buckets. And we all know how uh, how streaky J.R. Smith can be. But with that being said, you gotta you gotta you gotta run with what you got, man. You got to run with what you got. If they're hitting, they're hitting. If they're not, they're not. So, um, for the Celtics, like I said, just play your game. For the for the Cavs, LeBron or bust, man. LeBron or bust. And um, I don't even – I mean, I don't even know if there's one thing that the Cavs could do that I would be like, they need to try this, they need to try that. Because I said they need to play Jordan Clarkson more. They did, and they're still losing uh, or still struggling from time to time. And at this point, I don't think there's anything left in their in their bag of tricks. They just got to go in with what they have and hope LeBron has a monster game and somebody uh, along the way supports him. I guess one thing they could do is uh, bring JR off the bench, but I don't know who you would put in as a starter over him. Maybe Corver, but I mean, I mean Corver's going to get maybe nine more points than JR. Uh, but you're, you're going to be lacking on defense, so you're kind of screwed either way you go. Either way you go. So um, it's a good series. Game seven should be epic. Like I said, I don't see the Celtics quitting, and I don't see LeBron um, going out without a fight. So this might be up there for one of and uh, of the new eras, all-time best game seven. So um, I look forward to that. 
Um, switching over to oh, actually, wait a minute. Before we switch over, real quick, Jordan versus LeBron. Same thing I've always been saying: the two different players, two different eras. It's hard to to really point out the like how it's hard to come up with a, a legitimate simulation for what LeBron would have looked like when Jordan was playing, when Jordan was playing, and what Jordan would look like when LeBron was playing. In those eras, it's just hard to say. Uh, what I do know personally is that Michael Jordan is a is a better scorer than LeBron James. Um, I think I think he's just a it looks better. Um, he he knew how to play within his strengths, and he would not be denied. He was a, a tenacious like competitor, man. Like he was just the alpha male of competitors, and LeBron's an alpha male. But when it comes to competition, like the only person I can really think of that was as competitive as Michael Jordan um, that was in the NBA since Michael Jordan is Kobe Bryant, like that kind of tenacity, man. And I'm not as high on Kobe Bryant as everybody else, but I'm just saying as far as tenacity and mentality goes, that drive, um, to me, Kobe uh, really reminded me of uh, Michael Jordan. Now, with that being said, LeBron James is still one of the most physically gifted, if not the most physically gifted athlete of all time um, in regards to the NBA. And he he would definitely be more physically imposing than than, than Michael Jordan was. And, and I think, you know, there's been a lot of talk about them playing one-on-one and stuff like that, all these hypotheticals and everything. I think it just boils down to your preference. I prefer guys who who don't want to talk to people before the game um, because they're that competitive. Like if Michael Jordan's mom was wearing New York Nick colors, he wouldn't hug her or something like that. Like I, I, I prefer those type of competitors. I feel like LeBron doesn't have that in him per se. Um, he has it in spurts, but it, that's not exactly who he is. And to me, that bothers me personally uh, in regards to if I, if I had to make a choice. So I'm going to side with the person that I just like the mentality more. I don't feel like there's no drop-off and points that could be scored. I think Jordan was a better defender than LeBron James, but that also is an, an error uh, stipulation because in Michael Jordan's area, they played more defense and they didn't have the kind of athletes that LeBron faces day in, day out. And LeBron's error is more open when it comes to offense and creativity and guys, you know, you got seven footer shooting threes and stuff like that. You got all these combo guards and everything that uh, he sees on a, on a nightly basis. So that can also make defense difficult for anybody for that matter. So I don't even know if it's fair to say that Jordan's a better defender than LeBron, just based off, like I said, the, the errors that they played in in the style. So, um, I'm team Jordan, but I respect LeBron's greatness. I understand what he brings to the table. And um, if you think LeBron's great, I'm, I guess I'm as bipartisan as I can be on that situation. You know? So um, stop comparing the, the Bulls uh, cast to anything LeBron's played with that's not on the Miami Heat. That is disrespectful to Scottie Pippen and company. Don't do them dudes like that. They were a good team, which was – obvious after Jordan left and they still were competitive. So they're, they were a good team. It's not their fault that Michael Jordan made them all better and more recognized and that Jordan was the best of the good team. So don't, don't do, don't do them dudes like that. <laughs> That's disrespectful. All right. Switching over to the NFL. Uh, I'll try to be as quick as possible. As we know, the NFL came up with the most ridiculous anthem rule. It's like once cap Neil, we could not, we cannot get away from this. We can't move away from this. Um, the NFL just, I feel like this is just so silly, man. Like, why would you bring this up? Nobody was talking about players kneeling. Nobody was talking about protesting. Nobody was talking about Colin Kaepernick, really, except for, you know, that lawsuit that he brought up against the league. But even still, it was kind of hush-hush on the mainstream front. And then they take this initiative to make this rule and it's it's so obvious to me that it's politically motivated, man. Like you can't you can't Roger Goodell in the league cannot sit here and say that this isn't a political a political ploy. Like they're they're catering to a certain demographic about a certain topic that is controversial, but 
I mean, it's, it's just a bad way to do it. And, and that's not surprising with the NFL. The NFL has no tact for policies and, and uh, implications implementation of the policies it's just it's terrible man we we could go back to the last collective bargaining agreement and then even the revision that they did uh to kind of modernize it to uh give stiffer penalties to to people who got involved in domestic disputes and domestic violence there's still no clear definitive way of them enforcing it um, that goes by the the rule, but there's no consistency. Like Ray uh, Ray Rice is is banned for life, basically, and then you know you got a guy like Zeke who has all these gray areas, and people you know fan wise are thinking, oh, he didn't get charged, so the NFL can't do anything to him. But yes, they can. Um, and and I wanted to harp on that too because people are very adamant in saying that the NFL can't impede on your First Amendment rights. And as a person who studied criminal justice and, and did a lot of constitutional law in college, uh, I was hammered in my head. And then somebody that's, that's, you know, I guess you could say I'm I'm pro-human rights. Like, I don't like to see people mistreated or taken advantage of, et cetera, et cetera. So with all that being said, I, too, initially was like, they can't do that. That is That's an infringement on First Amendment rights. I'm not a big uh, constitution stomper, but still. There's certain things, like, I understand. These rules are here for a reason. Everybody's entitled to it. Um, But I wasn't as vocal as everybody else, and and I went and did some research, uh, obviously, because it was a topic that that I felt passionate about. And I looked it up, and and it looks like that they can actually infringe on your, quote, unquote, First Amendment rights because they are a private entity. And... um, this wouldn't be a legal matter in the sense of of a constitutional issue. It would, however, or could, however, be a legal matter in the sense of labor laws. Now, um, each state has a different set of labor laws that um, protects uh, their citizens from private businesses and entities doing things to them that are politically motivated or, or retaliation for their political or religious affiliation. So um, that's a way that the NFL players or NFL Players Association could potentially bring up challenges to the NFL. Um, If you were under a rug and you don't know what what I'm talking about, the NFL basically said that if you kneel outside of the locker room or protest the anthem in any kind of way that is considered disrespectful, they will fine you. I don't agree with that. I think this whole anthem thing is overblown. I don't think it makes you unpatriotic if you if you don't kneel for the anthem or if you don't stand for the anthem. I think it makes you unpatriotic if you are opposed to people doing that and want to do something to them because they do that. I feel like that's basically what our country was built on is is that in America you can do that. You can you can live in America and not like America. <laughs> I don't understand why People keep saying these things like Trump. I'm not trying to turn into a political show, but Trump's like the main person talking the loudest about it. And he's all like, well, if you don't like America, you should leave. And I'm like, but that's the whole point of being an American is that you can voice your displeasure in America. And then you can actually do something about it in America. Like if you don't like something, you can change it some kind of way. I mean, if you get enough people that feel the same way as you, you can make a change like that's how our country is it just seems so silly to me that people are really mad about this in the sense that they want to tell somebody that if you don't like america you can always just go back to where you came from or go back to your country and this and that and i'm like the majority of people complain about america are americans they're born here they they have every claim to the country and the land and the and the um, government assistance et cetera, et cetera, that people always complain about but People complain about America. The majority of those people are Americans. So when you say go back to your country, where do they go? What do you send people anyway that are that are Americans? Like we we don't have like a lot of our citizens don't have countries that they can go back to. That's why they came to America. They're they're displaced generations and stuff like that. I mean we can we can go deeper into it, um, especially certain demographics that are displaced, but I don't want to turn it into that kind of show, but I'm just saying 
to the people out there that don't like the um the anthem protests and stuff like you just you gotta wonder when you say go back to where you came from or or you can leave this country if you don't like it like that's just silly to me so um with that being said i don't know if the players association is going to challenge the nfl on any of this um we've had one owner for the jets who said he would pay the fine to the players um i don't think anybody else said that yet but i do know that the nfl said that it was a unanimous agreement by the owners and then all of a sudden you got the jets owner saying that he was going to pay the fine for his players so obviously he doesn't agree with it jet york and the 49ers said that they didn't even uh vote at all on it and i also think the oakland raiders uh owner um didn't vote or was opposed to it as well so um there's always that in the mix of unanimous and what quote so um it's hard to say how this is going to play out <clears throat> you know you got guys talking now i'm still going to protest or people are outraged and this and that but it's it's really hard to it's really hard for me to be mad at these guys who a lot of them come from nothing and they're taking care of not only their immediate family uh, that lives in the house with them, like children, wives, baby mamas, but they're also taking care of cousins, little brothers, little sisters, older brothers, older sisters, grandparents, friends. Like they've got a, some of these guys have a lot riding on their millions and millions of dollars that they make. And, and you got to think about it too. Like you get 10, $15 million. That's something that could set your entire family up forever. Forever, if you if you play it right, your family can now be established in our country for a long time, for generations. So it's it's a heavy burden to uh, to bear for a lot of these players, and then you turn around and ask them to um, risk risk that or risk that livelihood on on like an agenda that does affect them, but hasn't personally affected them, you know. Uh, use their platform to, or use their platform and, and potentially sacrifice, uh, you know, for for strangers. And I mean, that to me is the most admirable part of Kaepernick's whole stance is that he did take that risk and he he did make millions and millions of dollars. You know, people are like, oh, you make so much money, why are you even taking a knee? Like for him to even take a knee for the people who can't take a knee or for the people who can't afford to 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 do that or have that platform is, is admirable. I mean, that's one of the best parts of the protest is raising awareness, and I think he's done a great job for that. Um, with that being said, I also feel like he should have known that this was going to happen, and a part of me does feel like he knew that, but he's also taking – he's doing it the right way in regards to the legal matter. Like, uh, it'd be easy for him to go on the smear campaign of the NFL and and, act, and cry on Instagram like RG3 did when he couldn't get a job for something that wasn't even a protest or him just being a sorry quarterback. But uh, Cap's doing it. He's still, he's still doing his uh, campaign um, for raising awareness. He's still out here giving his money, his time, uh, which obviously to me, time is more important than money. Um, but either way, he's, he's, Took a, he's taking a stance and he's backing that and he's he's doing it the right way. So I don't know what people want from him as far as peaceful protests and this and that go. Uh, I hope he gets back into the league, um, but he probably won't. And then I'm not gonna be mad about that because that's just the way it is. If you're if you're an African American and you protest or you go against the social norm, you're gonna get kickback and it's usually detrimental kickback. So um, he's got support um, where he needs it, which is pretty much in his inner circle. He's got his his family and friends and his uh, girlfriend who also is very pro black. So I don't I don't think he's hurting as much as some of the people who are mad about him kneeling are hurting. So I find that kind of funny too. But at the end of the day, I don't agree with this rule. Um, I hope they change it. Knowing the NFL, they're extremely wishy washy, so they're going to switch it up somehow, some way. Uh, I don't expect them to enforce it adequately. Uh, we already seen, like I said, how they enforce the domestic violence policies and stuff like that. So you already know how this is going to go um, on something so controversial. Um, you probably see some players don't get fined at all. Some players do get fined or habitual offenders just get 
a fine, like an absurd amount, et cetera. So we'll see how it goes, how it plays out, and um, see how much our president gets involved. And if if his big mouth doesn't mess up uh, the situation even more, and then also see if the NFL Players Association will um, will look into this uh, from a legal standpoint. If somebody takes it to uh, the state level, like I said, each state has a different labor law. If they're willing to take it that far, or if this comes up in the new collective bargaining agreement, um, I know that's coming up. I want to say in 2020, uh, so that'll be interesting as well. I would, I would definitely like to to see a lockout of the NFL based on, um, you know, them raising awareness for police brutality and 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 just social inequality. So. I think that would be absolutely awesome and and have a ripple effect across sports. So if they want to take a stance, that probably would be the best time to do it as a collective whole. But there hasn't been a lot of – there hasn't been a lot of, I want to say – I don't want to say support because these – Caps had support and some athletes had taken a stand, but there hasn't been enough taking a stand at one time. Uh, to really do it. That whole locking arms and, and taking a knee uh, after Trump called them son of son of bitches and stuff was just a ploy. Like, I want to see, if you're going to do it, I want to see it done in the sense that these that these guys are all in it together and willing to, to make this collective sacrifice. So um, if they are going to do it, support one another because you're going to need that because Cap didn't have the support that that some of these guys are trying to give now. Because if he did, he wouldn't be out of the league, you know. But it's a little too. It's like too little, too late. So hopefully they don't repeat that mistake. Um, other than that, I mean, the only other NFL news I got is Des Bryant still doesn't have a job, and Carson Wentz looked halfway decent going through some drills during OTAs. Uh, we've had some key injuries, and we've also had some. Um, some reports coming out of OTAs about young quarterbacks and stuff like that. And as we get further into the year, because it's still May, um, but as we get further into the year, like late June, early July, we will definitely be talking plenty of college football, plenty of uh, NFL uh, news as well. So um, don't get too upset if we're not talking about it right now. I just think it's just a little too early to be talking about interceptions and, and and how guys are looking at OTAs. A lot of guys don't even go to those. Um, wrapping up the show real quick. Uh, it's kind of whack. Didn't nobody call in, but I'll handle that on my own personal time. Um, I got to say that uh, I, I want to make a campaign to raise awareness for WNBA. Uh, I did it for um, baseball in our sports group. Um, everybody knows that I'm a sports advocate for anything that I consider to be entertaining or beneficial to athletes and, and just overall useful. I watched the Los Angeles Spark play the Connecticut Sun the other night. It was um, on ESPN2. It came on about 7.30. I think the final score was like 100 and something to like 90 something or I forgot. But either way, I had um, obviously I was invested from a degenerate standpoint, but I just got to say that I have noticed, I've been watching WNBA for the last couple of years on and off, and I've noticed that the athletes are getting better in the WNBA. They're quicker guards. Uh, they have better, more consistent shot uh, shot makers. The Suns got a girl on their team that's 6'9", that can post up, that can handle the rock, and can shoot threes. She's like female Kevin Durant. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. She's 6'9", which is really freaking tall for a girl. So she's like Candace Parker's size, but shoots like Skylar Diggins and can dribble like uh, Tarasi. Or shoots like Tarasi and dribble like Skylar Diggins. That's incredible, you know? And um, I know some people are like, oh, she's still a girl and oh, incredible. But, like, no, from from a competitive standpoint, that's kind of cool. And, and I think athletes like her, like uh, – my girl uh, Brianna Stewart, um, Della Don, they're, they're even Scholar Diggins. Like athletes like them are becoming more consistent, and we we've gotten some some excellent finishes in women's college basketball in their Final Four and their and their uh, Elite Eight. Um, and we've got and some of those people have transitioned to the WNBA, and they're bringing that same kind of talent. 
and competitive nature to the league, and it's it's getting better. It's not it's not going to ever be on the level of, of obviously the NBA because they don't have enough flash, but the product is getting better. Um, the problem with the talent here is that if the WNBA paid as well as female basketball does overseas, we would probably have the larger collection of of talent and athletes, and the product would be so much better. It's the same way with um, with the NBA. If if uh, I mean, if you were living in Spain and you were watching um, FC Barcelona there uh, or the the FIBA version of Barcelona, you would probably say this team would be a lot better if Barcelona or the the Spanish league paid players like the NBA pays players. But because they don't, their best talent like Gasol and uh, Ibaka, those type of talents come over here. Ricky Rubio come over here at, at some point, you know. Um, with the WNBA, we have a lot of women that don't play in the WNBA because it doesn't pay well. So, I mean, they can't really help that. They can't pay what they don't have, and the NBA is trying to do their best to keep them afloat. But at the end of the day, I can't really fault some of these women who are actually really talented and entertaining for going overseas making three, four times as much over there than they do over here. As a matter of fact, a lot of the WNBA players, even Brittany Griner, play, she plays for a Russian team during the WNBA offseason because they pay more and it gives her a chance to uh, continue to play against good competition. I want to say the uh, Dallas Wings have a uh, a girl from Australia that's really good, um, and she decided to come over. They finally got her to come over to play, um, but she was playing in Australia because Australian, uh, I guess, female basketball paid more. But like I said, the competition getting better. The athletes are gradually better. So the league is becoming more attractive to some of those players who back maybe thinking about four years ago probably wouldn't have even have thought twice about playing in America and women's basketball. So um, we've got some local people uh, as far as like the DC Mystics. Uh, Del Don, Della Don plays, plays there. I saw her when she played at Delaware because I went to um, to VCU. She's she's a fun player to watch. She's like a female Dirk. So if you get a chance to see her play, go see her play. Tickets are cheap, and they're probably not even uh, – bad seats and you know and it's not going to be packed food probably cheap but it's something to do um if you ain't got nothing else to do one day just check check out a good game though don't just go watch the uh the um las vegas aces play like i guess the um indiana fever two teams who are kind of in a rebuild phase and they're not that good and then be like oh the WNBA sucks like if you're gonna if i'm gonna tell you watch a football game i'm not gonna tell you to watch the browns play um I don't even know what the equivalent would be. Or watch a Browns practice squad, basically. Or um, if you're watching college football, I don't tell you to go watch um, to go watch some sorry teams like um, not even Fresno State, but like one of these really bad teams that match up against another bad team. Generally speaking, when you want to introduce people to a sport, you tell them to watch basically the two best teams, like the two most talented teams, or show them the most talented athletes, and they watch those. Like you want to introduce somebody to soccer, you would show them a La Liga uh, Classico game, Madrid versus Barcelona. You're going to get some real good games or a real good game, or you show them Champions League. You don't show them Stoke City versus AC Bournemouth or whatever. Like, you don't show them stuff like that because then they're going to be like, this sucks. So um, anybody interested in at least trying to see what I'm talking about or if you ever watch a WNBA game, check out the links. Check out the Sparks. Check out the Sun. Um, those three teams are the most entertaining teams. And in the Mystics, they got a good, talented team, too. So those four teams are the teams I think people should check out. Then you got the Dallas Stars. They're fast-paced. They got Skylar Diggins, who's very attractive, uh, plays point guard. And she's also very talented as well. And then they've also got that girl, like I said, from Australia. I forgot what her name is, but um, she's new to me. Um, and she's very talented, probably getting about 18, 19 a game and um, putting in some work as well. So um, check those squads out and check the ladies out if you get a chance. So that's my soapbox, uh, promote my sport type thing, um, WNBA. I'm going to show the ladies some love. I'm going to continue watching, and I'm telling you, it's probably the best place to make some money, man. 
because they don't really move the lines like they're supposed to because it's not a popular mainstream sport. So um, you might want to look into that too. All right, so with that being said, it's been an hour. I uh, appreciate anybody listening. Uh, like I said, I, I didn't have a show fully mapped out because I didn't anticipate talking the entire hour. But that's what ended up happening. So um, I apologize for anybody that was looking for something more in-depth. I will be back next week with a more in-depth show, um, which will probably be one morning next week. I'll give you guys a 24-hour hit up, uh, heads up because um, I'm going back to work. Um, I was in training all last week, so I was working 8 to 5. Now I'm back on the whole night schedule thing. So uh, you guys have to catch me in the morning. I'll make sure I record the show and post it. Uh, Till then, this has been Actively Lazy, a.k.a. IBS Yeezus, whom I'm told I need to drop the Yeezus because he got roasted. <laughs> so I had to check that out. But this is Actively Lazy. This has been the IBM Weekly Podcast for the week of May 26th. I'll catch you guys later.